Hey, listeners, and welcome back to College Conversations. My name is Jeff Sherrod, and today we're looking at the world of work after graduation. When students graduate from college, sometimes there's the assumption that they're automatically ready for the workforce. Uh, today, Greg Garner and I sit down with Amanda Osaby, who runs a health clinic, and Chris Cameron, who manages a video production company. In both instances, we talk to them about what they're looking for in employees and what students can even do during college to prepare themselves better for the workplace. Uh, Greg himself owns multiple businesses and he gives his invaluable insight uh, into this topic as well. In this episode, we talk about employer expectations for new employees, we talk about workplace readiness and the vital role of emotional preparedness for college graduates, not just hard skills. Uh, we talk about the evolving landscape of mental health in the workplace, the importance of social and emotional intelligence, communication challenges, and the integration of faith in the professional sphere. I think you guys are going to have a great time uh, listening along. But before we get into it, quick reminder, your feedback fuels the energy of College Conversations. So if you enjoy this episode, hit subscribe, uh, leave a review on your favorite podcast platform. It really makes a difference. All right, settle in and enjoy. This is College Conversations. Hey, everyone. Welcome to College Conversations. I'm your host, Professor Jeff Sherrod. I'm really happy to be here with you guys today. In this episode, we're kind of talking about what employers are looking for in college graduates. Obviously, this is a topic that's come up a lot over the years, not just because of some of the changes in education, but also our environment, our social climate, you know, all this has changed. I'm here with um, our, our co-host, uh, Professor <laughs> Craig Garner, and then uh, uh, we have some business managers here as well. I'd love to get a chance to introduce them. Let me start off with Amanda. Tell us, Amanda, about who you are and what, tell us a little about your business. Uh, my name is Amanda Osaby, and I manage the business called Hopewell Family Care. It's a primary care clinic that practices both modern medicine and does some integrative therapies as well. So, and I manage about, there, we have five providers at our practice, and there are about 19 other employees that are full-time and part-time. Awesome. How long have you been doing that? Hmm. Four years? Four years. Mm -hmm. Wonderful. Yeah. Chris, what do you got? So, my name is Chris Cameron, and I manage a video production team for a company called Genovations Media. I also am a partner and lead cinematographer for a company called Center Street Media that does um, more documentary films and things of that nature. We're on the Genovation side. It's a little more in the realm of kind of small business and entrepreneurial help with like promotional materials and things like that. But in just like a real short form, I do all kinds of video production uh, between those two companies. And then even with our church here, I get to work with AV at the church community for GOD here on campus. So live streaming, live music. And like I said, documentaries, short form things, long form things, yeah. anything with a camera. Nice. Love that. Uh, I think one of the cool things that we have today, too, is um, uh, President Garner, you're an entrepreneur. You've done, founded nonprofits, for profits. You employ, I mean, dozens of people is an understatement, right? Uh, hundreds, <laughs> hundreds of people. Is I, I, yeah, I have about, um, I think my last count was. 82 managers. 82 managers. Yeah, right? yeah. So there's, dozens there's of managers. Couple thousand employees. <laughs> couple thousand employees. So yeah, you obviously have tons of experience in this. Well, so I think that's a cool thing that we have today too, is that for you know all of you guys, you know you, you're doing several businesses and nonprofits. You guys are focused on a business, but you've been able to see over the years some of the changes maybe that have happened with people that are graduating from colleges and starting in the workforce. Uh, you know, uh, we uh, Greg and I we both work at the Institute for Global Outreach Developments, and we've been training up students for a long time, too. So we've even seen some of those changes that are happening when yeah. students are coming into the college. One of the things that stood out to me, there was a study that was recently done by Cengage, which is an educational educational company, but they, they uh, surveyed 1,600 recent graduates, and 50% of them reported feeling underprepared. Um, for their work once they graduated. Um, and of those that had found uh, employment uh, of that, 40% of those people said that they rarely or only occasionally used the skills that they actually got in college. So that was something that was, you know, 
Shocking. Yeah. Right? How many percent again? Yeah. So of the people that found found jobs, yeah, forty percent of them reported that they occasionally or rarely used the skills that they actually occasionally learned. Occasionally or rarely <laughs> right. used it. Forty percent of them. So almost half of people said we didn't really use our college education. Right. And those are the ones that found jobs. And then the other ones are just like we graduated and we just feel unprepared. Yeah. And and so and there's one more I wanted to read because I, I wanted to hear Professor Garner what you what you think about this like um, this is kind of a new thing uh, and this was done by the Mary Christie Institute they asked a, a thousand young professionals and they said that forty percent of them reported feeling emotionally unprepared hmm. uh, mm-hmm. for the transition from. Mm-hmm. College to work, and this has been this has been written about recently because this is kind of a new thing since about 2014, 2015. People noting we're not emotionally ready to start working, even though we've kind of done the societal steps, like I've gone to college, I've, and I'm not there yet. So I don't know. Maybe we just kind of start off kind of here, Brock. When you're hearing Professor Garner, what are you hearing? Some of those statistics, like yeah. what's going through your head? Like what are you, what are you thinking? I, I think those statistics seem to reflect my own experience. And it's interesting that you go back to 2014, 15, which, you know, about gives us a decade of consideration. And that definitely would have been the time in which for at least people in the United States, the reality of the great recession Mm -hmm. had kicked in and people were trying to implement recovery. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think economists would say that we moved into a place of recovery around 1718, mm. which then, you know, just a year and a half later, mm-hmm. we'd be hit with COVID-19, which was actually in 20. But it's, um, I think I think there's some uh, something telling there about how the mental health, which is connected to people's emotions, mm-hmm. were affected, particularly for those kids who, when the Great Recession hit, they probably would have been in junior high or high school, or maybe in high school, so that by the time 14, 15 hits, they're graduating college and they're ready to go into the world. And I just wonder what kind of conversations they would have had with their parents right. mm-hmm. on the other side of, I think I remember like, there, there was over a million Americans who lost their homes during yeah. that time. Right. And the layoffs and the companies that were closing down. I remember visiting one company in Knoxville where they laid off 450 employees and I just looked at all these empty cubicles. It was a liquidation sale like two days later after they mm-hmm. basically told everybody when they came in that morning, hey, uh, you guys got five minutes to collect all your things and turn in your badges and or 30 minutes and get out of here. You're all being let go. And I mean, some cubicles, you could tell someone just thrashed the cubicle because they were so upset. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There were still like family photos in the cubicles mm-hmm. where people were working. So it was a, it was a hard time. Oh, you yeah. can imagine now that one of those um, parents coming home to their kids or in high school mm. at that time and then saying, you're going to have to do this and yeah. right. Like having like some kind of future resolve. And then the kid looking at the pain, the financial issues are well noted as being one of the top contributors to marital conflict. Maybe right. that kid now is hearing yep. parents arguing and all of this is contributing to some aspect of mental health, right? Yeah. Now they go to college, they're trying to figure things out. Now they're trying to get a job mm-hmm. and then they, they they follow all of the guidelines. Like you said, mm-hmm. they get into the workplace. Now there's pressure on them to perform. There's a, there's a sense of instability because the economy is still recovering. Yeah. Now, now you jump 10 years later and here we are recovering again. Yeah. And, and the reasons for mental health instability are that much more increased. Because I remember it was after 1450 where you started hearing more commonly the concept of like a mental health day. Oh, yeah. Taking yeah. a mental health safe, day. Or even on college campuses, safe spaces on college yeah, campuses. Yeah, right. Like the whole thing. So, yeah. so we started like even designing the, the work world to accommodate what mm-hmm. has become commonplace for people with their mental state. So anyways, as you're saying that, yeah. I, can, I can see based on my own experience and what I've been able to synthesize with respect to um, the observations of those experiences that those statistics would would um, carry some weight. I also think that our educational systems, and you've heard me say this so much, they, they are long overdue a refresh. Right. And there are so many things that need to be reconsidered, readapted, and altogether just reformatted to accommodate where we're at in the 21st century but it's so slow. 
Yeah. You know, so the education in the United States is such a big ship, it's so hard to turn it. Right. And I think it's it's really going to be the smaller institutions that have more agility attached to them who will be able to lead the way in the kind of change that needs to happen. Because even when I see big institutions grab onto a trend and mm -hmm. decide they want to now adopt what they're seeing is, is coming up in the underground, it's really difficult for them to do so in such a way that maintains the authenticity yeah, right. of the smaller institutions applying those types of considerations. Like with our smaller institution of just a little over 200 college students, we can supply a mentor yeah. for every single individual undergrad yeah. where that's not going to be the case. We have active alumni that can go one-to-one -one right. with every um and it's so undergrad. central to like who we are. You know, this is not just an add-on that we're doing yeah. to help with the mental health. Yeah. It's, it's like we can really lean into we're right. into we're into people development. <laughs> yeah, and and as I uh, hinted at, like or intimated, post COVID, the the, the um, sensitivity towards mental health I think has been society wide um, increased. Yeah, like people are more familiar with what it is that people are going with. And now you add like the after effects of inflation and the fact that while there's there's been high levels of unemployment, it's different than any other recession in that in, in the past, like when we had high levels of unemployment, we had low levels of job opportunities, but now we right. have more job offerings than ever in the history of the United States. Mm -hmm. There are more jobs a person can get, but people aren't taking them. Yeah, And I know that, and you guys probably experienced this in your respective businesses, for me, um, after COVID, when people started coming back to the workforce, our big challenge was people didn't want to work anymore. Right. Mm -hmm. And if they did want to work, they wanted to be paid way more than right. what the industry uh, found to be fair market value. And so that's, that just, for any business that wanted to stay, like one of our businesses is a staffing company and our clientele had contracts to pay a certain amount of money for to be staffed. And it took so long for them, especially if they're bigger entities. Like, yeah. you know, this particular company works with, with some really top universities and hotel chains yeah. here in Nashville, and they they have so much bureaucracy involved in in changing how they accommodate that the employees that we're hiring went from going like we need sixteen dollars to we need twenty four dollars an hour, God, we need twenty eight dollars wow. an hour. We had some were telling us I need seventy dollars an hour oh to gosh. beat the government <laughs> benefits. <laughs> I was getting during COVID, but we still had to supply staffing. Yeah. But the 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 big um, uh, businesses that we were working with, they they couldn't all of a sudden change what they gave us. They want to lock us in the contract, so we had to get real creative as to how to even balance mm -hmm. how it is we would provide staffing, maintain our contractual obligations, and then survive. Yeah. yeah. And so I'm sure in your guys' field, you have experienced the same. Just I know Chris, you probably you hire a lot of. People who probably do like freelancing. Right. And I work with lots of subcontractors yeah. and it's like I can, you know, some subcontractors want the same rate that I can get for my entire team of W2s to go work somewhere, <laughs> you know, depending on what field they're in, lighting or audio or whatever. So that that gets really interesting. I think something I thought of when you were talking that's real interesting with the size of a school. Um, I was thinking about go into a school like the Institute because I went, I'm an alumni yeah. from the Institute and I think in a smaller school like that, something you also get is like, you're, you're just so known by everyone. You're known by your professors, that one-on-one -on -one mentor kind of experience. You're known by the people around you so much that it mirrors the workplace environment a lot more in that way Yep, because people know how you're performing. Right. Like, that people, is a great point. People yeah. know what's going on. So it, I think it really prepared me better to enter into the workplace I didn't go to a bigger school, so I can't compare the two experiences, but I would imagine I could have found a lot more anonymity oh, yeah, uh, with yeah. a larger group. Yeah. Of I mean, I went to people. the University of Tennessee for a year, and I just, you know, I walked around with a map because I'm directionally challenged. Um, <laughs> which, you know, if you want to make friends, walk around with a map on a college campus. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, did, I could like go the whole day without talking to anyone, without doing anything. I commuted at the time, but for sure, if I was like going to a job that was any more personal, I'd been like, you know, there would have been. Some learning curve, right? After that, Just yeah. in like the interactivity with other people and having other people looking in your business and like yeah. knowing what's going on with you, and like that happens in the workplace so right. so readily. But uh, maybe in a larger college environment, you just don't. You're not forced to get that. But then least. there also has to be intentionality, right? Like yeah. with our sure. school, we're very intentional to integrate education that's correlative to the development of social emotional health, mm -hmm. right? Yeah, and a lot of schools. 
don't have any of that with respect to their philosophy of education or even how they train their professors and teachers. Um, I know for me, I had a personal slogan that I found to be adopted now by our professors, which goes along the lines of me saying, I don't teach classes, I teach students. Mm -hmm. And that's another way of just saying, I'm paying attention to every kid that's in the class because what I have to communicate the way Jesus teaches us is going to, whether it sticks or not, is dependent on the kind of soil that they are. Yeah. And sometimes you, for for whatever reasons, you know, maybe they came from an environment where they were just really beat up, just like that path. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's really hard for mm-hmm. something to get into their heart. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or, or maybe they, they have in their mind the whole time, I'm here because I want to make a lot of money and I want to, I, I, I have a lot of cares of this life that I'd like to implement. And the thorns of that can choke out yeah. what we're trying to plant. Yeah. Or, or maybe they just lack depth, but they're very happy, and so they can receive what's being taught, and then all of a sudden, be you know have some semblance of growth. Yet a, a trial or tribulation mm-hmm. hits. You know, it's just it's a Matthew thirteen parable, yeah. right? Yeah. So for me, teaching students and not just classes has me really looking at the soil, and then being the good kind of farmer that's gonna. Uh, try and help to cultivate because that's a part of the story that we don't really get, right? This farmer is kind of just haphazard in terms of the distribution of seeds. Mm-hmm. And this is Jesus's way of explaining the diverse um, people right. that he's talking to so that those who had ears to hear are going to be the more cultivated ground. Yeah. But I think as an institution, we take a parable like that and we learn from it and we realize what role can we play in cultivating good soil in our students. And I think an institution, a collegiate institution that's not making consideration for the social emotional development of their young people is going to have a really hard time getting those seeds planted into their students. So much so that students can't say, gosh, I don't even know what I learned that's applicable to my job. Because I also know that people who run universities are smart people. And I guarantee you they had a lot Mm -hmm. to say that was applicable to the job. (laughs) Right. Because I think the misconception would be people going, gosh, colleges don't teach anything. False. Colleges are teaching a lot of good stuff. Mm -hmm. But what is being retained? Right. Because I know with the K through 12 that uh, I was able to start like, one of the founding principles there or, or, or considerations was that statistically a K through 12 graduate, when they, when they get done one year later, like the grand majority, it's like a real high percentage. I don't remember what it was exactly, but it was definitely a grand majority. Um, less than, they, they retain less than 5% of all the information that they got from K through 12. Hmm. And I'm not surprised by that. And I think it's the social emotional element yeah. that sure. would increase that retention. Yeah. Because we 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 as we need to be able to link things to purpose. Right. And and I and for us as believers, calling. Yeah. So I, I, all those things do change. I, yeah, I'm, I'm curious, like even as that. you guys are thinking about people that you've hired, what is it, what kind of social, emotional intelligence things are you looking for? You know, for college I mean, graduates, like that, maybe things people weren't necessarily thinking of when they're going to college. I mean, uh, to be completely honest, the first couple of years that I was working, I wasn't even looking at those kind of strengths in mm. an employee. And it, but like as our even our conversation, and I, as I was thinking about you know coming to talk here today, it's funny where this conversation has gone because it's exactly where I would have taken it. <laughs> um, interpersonal communication is something that I think is very much lacking in the Mm -hmm. workforce and it's been probably one of my biggest challenges as a manager and to have a successful team and to get us all on the same page to do something you know great which is an example of like what an interpersonal challenge would look like just communication conflict resolution like people are just not trained in our world i was never trained in the different college experiences that i had to work out issues that you have with the people you're working with you know you just get over it push forward or avoid that person try to stay more towards this avoidance yeah avoidance i feel like is at an all-time high i Mm-hmm. I have never it's the whole quiet quitting thing, right? Yeah, like quiet quitting or the quiet resignation. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell us more about that, Chris, because you're obviously informed by it. Unless you do know, I was just gonna. Yeah. We literally just had an employee quit who um, that wasn't her main complaint or anything, though it was in like her exit. Um, what, was the, what was the main complaint? Her main. 
well, that wasn't her. Her main complaint was personal, personal family okay. things and and some other stuff. But she definitely highlighted that um, interaction. But the thing, the part that I was trying to highlight was she didn't want us to tell anyone she was leaving. And I was like, what? This is so bizarre. <laughs> and it's so awkward. Because yeah. people care. I mean, and people care for her. So I'm just like, I am I felt for her on two different levels because I'm like, people care about you yeah. and they want to care for you as you depart from us. And, you know, you did have a place here, but she, for some reason, could not get past that challenge where, you know, you don't see eye to eye on something or something. And so therefore she built up different little mini walls, you know, to separate herself. And I just thought it was very interesting yeah. that she just didn't want anyone to know she was, it was literally a silent, she just was yeah, trying yeah, to yeah. silently leave. And the concept of, of quiet, quiet quitting or, or, um, yeah, it, it's a little, it's a little, it's similar, but it's a little different. Yeah. And it sounds like okay. you're familiar with it, Chris. Yeah. I think the idea is like an employee, you know, they come to the job and maybe before, you know, they were just like gung ho and all about it, but now they're like, well, I'm not, that's not really my job and that's not really my job and I'm not going to do that and I'm not going to do that. And then eventually it's like they just kind of stop doing stuff until things come to a head or like, you know, just... Just yeah. essentially doing the bare minimum. Doing the bare minimum and then like even less than, right? Like you just... Until like somebody's going to correct you or until like it gets I've noticed or whatever. You just yeah, kinda... and, and then they, they've also talked about this in terms of the quiet resignation. Uh-huh. They're basically waiting for... It reminds me of like uh, the, the the junior high dating experience where you know this is not working, mm, yes. but that, but you you're hopeful that it could. You want them to break up, but with the you. other person doesn't. So you're like waiting for them to break up with you, but mm. they're not going to. They're just gonna keep not talk to you, not go places with you, even go out with other people. And you're like, this is weird. I guess I have to break up with you. That's kind of the quiet resignation yeah. kind of thing. Like you have to implement something that says, okay, we're done here. Right. And also another thing that's correlative to quiet quitting, quiet resignation is they also start looking for something else uh-huh. right. and they, they utilize their energy for these days. It, it's, it's, um, it's seems like we're emerging into another century of self. I know that the 20th century was yeah. often highlighted as a century of self, but I'm not sure we moved away from it because <laughs> yeah. people are, are definitely self-interested. Like it's become about my passion, my desire, my mm-hmm. dreams, what I want. And while those things aren't bad in and of themselves, when they they override your res- your integrity and responsibility mm-hmm. to a task or a job or even interpersonal honesty yeah it it's it's problematic but you're right Amanda people don't develop the tools naturally mm-hmm. yeah. to contend with these things there there's a very needed educational component that's missing mm-hmm. in our education system at large yeah yeah. I, even as you're talking about quiet quitting, I think one of the narratives that comes out of that is that you, when you get hired, you're going to be taken advantage of and mm-hmm. you are going to be worked to the bone. So you need to set up personal boundaries and you need to make sure that you're protected against that. Uh, and it, it kind of, I think, even when people are thinking about the job, they're already kind of thinking about it as an adversarial relationship before yeah. they're even there. And it, it does, I think it does color things because I know that for you guys, you don't have adversarial work environments. This is not, <laughs> not something that you're not thinking when you're going into a job, like as an employer, how can I squeeze every last right. bit of energy? And for the employee, how can I just be here for the bottom dollar? These are not the kind of companies that, right. that you guys are, have. Right. right. And so, right. you know, like, but I, but I do think that that is something that also is this narrative that's forming too. That I think that's probably a little cultural at large, right? I think yeah. as a culture, we kind of view work as negative. Whereas, you know, the biblical education that I receive from the Institute, you know, like, I mean, yeah. the Bible is pretty straightforward. Work is what people were made to do with a grand majority of their time. But as a culture, we like to say, Work is like the thing I'm just trying to get done with so I right. can get to the thing I really want to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So I can do what I'm passionate about. Right. right. As if you can't be passionate about your work. Yeah, right. right. And it seems that a lot of that takes place in uh, the collegiate institution you're part of because yeah. part of our job should be to help align a person's sense of passion, purpose, or calling, yeah. depending on what we call it, right. with what they get to do with the majority right. of their time for the rest of their life. And of course, that's going to be connected to their own giftedness. But a, a lot of institutions, when they do look at giftedness, they look at um, they don't look at giftedness in terms of aptitude. They look at it, in my opinion, with 
these other tools that can be helpful, but so often just become, at least the way I've seen them use, like ways of classifying people and then predetermining who they are. So Myers-Briggs or Enneagram, mm-hmm. yeah. you yeah. know, see what you are. What are you? Are you an eight? Oh, I get it. That's why you're so aggressive. <laughs> and uh, what is your MBTI? Oh, an ESTJ. Yeah, that's. I, I understand why you need those clear-cut rules and need to boss me around. Like we go there rather than doing an exploration in terms of like what is it that you have that you can contribute to the healthy growth and productivity of the people around you that you feel great about doing. And then teaching people that we all need each other because not everybody can do everything. In that case, right. you're going to have to be a part of a team. Right. And this like heroic freelancer concept is just something that I know, especially after COVID broke out when everybody started side hustling because now they're getting government dollars and they can't go anywhere and work said you can't come into work and they're like, I'll start a website, I'll start another company, I'll do this other thing. And then people started making money because people had this new expendable income. It it, it was just kind of like a a moment in time that worked really well for some people. But in the long run, it, it is we're we're discovering as an economy that this is problematic, mm-hmm. and um, I, I think because so much of our young people who are entering into college, their news is social media, like yeah. they they are subject to the paid advertisements that they believe to be um, insights right. or or revelation, yeah. yeah, as to how they can escape. What it is that these guys are saying is the enemy, which is quit your jobs and work for me. Is basically what these people are saying. Or like make thirty million dollars by the time you're thirty or whatever. Yeah, like yeah. that's what. And the way you'll do that is quit your jobs and work for me. <laughs> right. But they don't say work for me. They say work for yourself. Yeah. But you're gonna need me as a coach. You're gonna need uh-huh. my curriculum. You're gonna need my training thing to do that. And it's it's just become uh, very well known that knowledge in that way is an asset. Like people sell that kind of knowledge. But theologically, we know that at the outset, the contrast is, are you going to walk with God with the tree of life or are you going to go out on your own and grab that fruit, which is defined by knowledge yeah. and and so that you can accommodate your, your desires. And um, that's why we do want people to recognize their purpose and their calling and their, their sense of vocation so that when they... And the development of interpersonal skills, which yeah. includes clear articulation, right? Yeah. right? So that when they are in a situation that they don't like or, or that's not accommodating to them, they can speak up and right. talk. And, and But that comes from like a knowledge of knowing that like God's prepared you. Yeah. And he's given you everything you need. So if you just go to him, like you'll be able to communicate, you know, with yeah. that employee. You'll yeah. be able to talk to your boss about whatever you're struggling with, you know? Yeah. And it can become, it's more freeing. It's a freeing experience to, like, live life through God's lens of, like, how. It does seem like people have, like, sometimes two versions of God. There's this. There's the God that's, like, you and him. And so it's, like, I did talk to God and God told me (laughs) and and that's why I quitting today. (laughs) Instead of the the God that I believe the Bible reveals to us, which says, wait a second, did you bring me something? You trying to get close to me? Remember the 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 term for sacrifice, Corban, just Mm -hmm. means to bring near. Mm -hmm. And in Jesus' teaching in Matthew five, he's like, You're trying to bring to get close to me and bring the sacrifice. Yet but there's something you have to say to your brother or your sister, like, why don't you just leave that Mm. and go and talk to them? Mm -hmm. So the God of the Bible reveals he wants us to work things out with one another. But the God of our culture, even our Christian culture, seems to be the God that you can just talk to and not have to talk to anybody else. And And he won't tell anybody else. Yeah, he's he's not involved with anybody else. He's very good secret keeper. (laughs) He's got confidentiality agreements with all his children. And, but it, but it's a real thing. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's uh, this is why we're not just a school teaching people how to work at jobs. We're a Bible school. Right. Right. And we're teaching people more about who it is they can become in Christ because that needs to be before what it is they, whatever it is they do. Yeah. So it's about who you become, not just what you do. You become like Christ. Now, whatever it is that you do, you're going to salt that. You're going to light yeah. it up. It's, it's going to be enhanced. Yeah. Right. I think that's the Incredibly idea. Incredibly enhanced. Is like, because when I was thinking about this talk, one of the things I just I kept coming back to was the idea of humility. Because I think what you're talking about is that 
people have to practice a form of hum- like humility yeah. to even be that kind of open with people around them, mm-hmm. that kind of sure. honest with the people around them, to receive that kind of input from the people right. around them. You got to be honest about where you're at, what you are capable of and what you are incapable of. Right. Yeah. To be able Which to can actually kind of be beautiful. It's wonderful. Then it lends itself to the very necessary collaboration with the body of Christ. Right. Yeah. To be a part of a team. Um, and, and gosh, Chris, that's such a good point. Because how can we say with Paul the Apostle, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ in me, right? How can we say that with him or reverberate that in our own lives today if we're not willing to put ourselves out there right. and mm-hmm. have those difficult conversations? Yeah. And the sometimes people think they're putting themselves out there to have those difficult conversations, but all they're doing is quitting or all they're doing is saying, here's my position, deal with it. I talk to God, live with it. I'm going to read something for you. This is first Timothy six. It's a really, it's a text that I I rarely hear anyone talk about. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to give it a a modern spin on the translation. And those of you who are um, um, folks who can read the Greek, check it out. I I do. I think I've done a pretty good job on this translation here, but it says, Let everybody who's in an employment contract regard their bosses worthy of all honor so that the name of God and the teaching may not be reviled. And those who have believing bosses should not be disrespectful on the ground that they are brothers and sisters. Rather, they must work all the better since those who benefit by their good service are believers and beloved. You should teach and even urge these things. And if anyone teaches different, than this and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching, this teaching that accords with godliness, this person's puffed up with conceit. They don't understand anything. They have an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words, which of course would produce envy and dissension, slander and evil suspicions, constant friction amongst people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means for gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world and we can't take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we'll be content. But for those who desire to be rich, they fall into temptation. It's a snare into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Mm. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith, pierced themselves with many pain, with much pain. Yeah. Very powerful text. Right. Yeah. I think we're all familiar with the end of it. Yeah. 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 But to recognize that it all stems off of people going, wait a second, I'm an employee and I'm an employment contract and I don't like this. Mm-hmm. And I need to get out of this because I I I have needs. And, and like even the 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 listing here, what they're going after for, they have a craving then. And, and that craving creates controversy. It creates quarrels, dissension, slander, evil suspicions. I've been in this long enough to have seen this played out yeah. for sure on so many levels. Yeah. I'm sure you guys have yeah. as well. But like, as if people could be taught these things, yeah. And 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 if they have a biblical conviction to live by God's word, it would definitely change our mind. And this is very countercultural to where oh, we're yeah, at right yeah. now. Yeah, you know, because the idea here is you're you're going to have to respect your boss and part of respect is communication mm-hmm. it's being able to talk yeah and and that's that's so missing today yeah so i think a biblical education is is one that is going to help a person according to romans eight twenty nine, conform to the image of god's son right because this is what, for those of me foreknew, you also predestined, they'd be conformed to the image of God's son. So we're all being conformed into Christ. And he is the image of the invisible God. And the, Im- the invisible God has made himself known through his articulate ability to give us his word. Mm-hmm. Jesus is the word incarnate. If I am going to image God, then it's going to come through my articulate ability because mm-hmm. he's invisible. Right. Yeah. And I, I'm not going to be able to image Jesus by looking like him in my physicality. I'm going to have to demonstrate and communicate in ways where people can see and hear yeah. that in us. And this is this is our calling, yeah. all of us. So a good biblical education is going to develop in you the ability to tell the truth, to communicate, to resolve conflict. Because gosh, how many how much of Jesus' teaching is committed to teaching us about the power of forgiveness? Right. Yeah. Which tells us you're gonna have offenses. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's gonna be issues that happen. But with the culture, Amanda, that you're talking about, Chris, I mean, it's like 
if any of those things emerge, you the best thing you do is walk away. Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. And then you try to let everybody know I've got no problems. Yeah. But then as soon as you're away, now you've got all the problems. Right. Which then, according to this text, creates the controversy and the quarrels and the envy and dissension and right. slander and the evil suspicions. So like I even like when I work with my HR teams, I'm like, guys, we have to do appropriate exit interviews. Yeah. yeah. And we have to let people know that these exit interviews go on record. And um, for me, I'm at the place where if an employee does an exit interview, they're supposed to tell the truth. They know this is on record. And if they want to go on and um, slander and do something, you know, all of a sudden they're on a Google review. I'm just like, just post post their exit interview (laughs) and hear them (laughs) say it was the greatest place to work. I'm so happy for all the years I got to work here. I love everybody here. And just say, you know, can you trust this person? This was their exit interview. Well, they had to lie because, okay, all right. Right. So this is the world we live in now where – where we're allowed to lie because we got paid for a job. Like we're so much is so backwards and upside down mm-hmm. right now, but the, mm-hmm. the remedy is going to be God's word and the implementation of that truth. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And especially when the exit interview happens after you're already done. Yeah. Like it literally happens. You're well, you done. You don't have you to want. face these people anymore. So yeah. why would you lie? Why yeah. would you need to lie? But that's the thing, right? I think, I think our culture. That's crazy. It, it, this all goes back to the development of social emotional intelligence it does, yeah. because yeah. Our, in our culture, we have a bunch of adults running around like kids. Mm-hmm. Right. When you were a kid, Absolutely. you were white lying all the time mm-hmm. because you, you didn't see the relevance of the consequence. Right. Or right. The it seemed like, yeah, this is not going to, this yeah. isn't going to really affect anybody. Did you do your homework? Yeah, I did it. In your head, you're like, I haven't, but I'm going to do it before school starts <laughs> right. tomorrow. Mm-hmm. So you lie and you right. say, I haven't. Or it, it like, um, hey, did you, did you finish the load of laundry like I told you? You didn't, but you intend to. Yeah, it's on its way. Right. Right. We, this, this is what kids do. Yeah. It's in the works. Adults should not do this. Mm-hmm. No. Adults need to say, doggone it. Not yet. <laughs> but, I but forgot it's, that this is what I was supposed to do, and I'm so sorry. I'll go do it right now. Right. It almost it almost feels <laughs> yeah. like it's it's culturally expected to do this in the workplace. Like you know, so you're you're even pad your resume. You know, like so you can get resumes that Dude. people are like, man, this looks awesome. And then you start working with people. Dude, em- employee awesome. employer advice to all you managers out there: <laughs> never trust a resume. Yeah. Never. <laughs> I don't care if they yeah. they have a degree in Jesus Junior. Don't trust a resume. You gotta test that stuff. Yeah, you gotta test it. Yeah, but you're because, right because it's, it's a culture. St- it starts with saying, and then even during the, you know, do you know how to do this? And people are like, well, I'm gonna say yes, and I'm gonna try to figure it out. And it, you know, Chris, there's no humility yeah. uh, in any of that. People I, aren't. I actually had an employee who um, I, I hired at a, a higher dollar level than I had hired anybody before because the resume and their interview. And the way they talked and the experience and the name drops and and I was like, okay, this this and this person was older and they had the years of experience. Mm. So I was like, all right, this will be great. Because you'll 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 pay higher if you know the return will be higher. Right, right. right. So I was like, fine, let's make this happen. In their exit interview, a year later, they 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 just told me they said, you know, I, I really want to let you know that this has been a great learning experience for me. I actually never had a boss who kept me accountable to what it was that I was supposed to do. Awesome. And this was a really hard year for me because in the past I would just say, yeah, I can do it. And then I would go figure it out mm. and do my best. And But like actually asking me to tell you my plan <laughs> or, or where my sources are and how I'm executing this, I'd never had that experience and it created a lot of conflict in me. I found myself going quiet, feeling shame. And even at one point the person's like, I start blaming you for asking me too many questions and being controlling. And then I realized, because uh, this person was a believer and they were taking time to pray and the, the Lord, thank God, um, revealed to them yeah. uh, that they're, they're blame shifting. They need to take a look and they need to ask themselves some simple questions like, are you being honest? And so the person said, I realized this whole year I just wasn't being honest. Mm. And I've never even thought that I was a person who wasn't honest. Mm-hmm. And, I, and this person was in their 40s talking to me. They've been in the workforce for 20 plus years. And they're like, I've just never thought I was dishonest. But she, she started talking about looking back and going, yeah, I think I've been just dishonest. But it was culturally acceptable, so I didn't feel it. Yeah. And I had to calm them down and say, listen, it's, uh, it's okay. Like, you now know. Isn't that great? And now you can be different. Yeah. And I hope you can find another job where it's okay when you don't know. Right. And yeah. it's all right that you can grow. 
And then it just came back to, well, I, really, I just wanted the higher pay rate. Yeah. And I feel like so often yeah. that's where people get. Right. Know, and I think people would even ask the question, like, what, well, can, is, it, evil, is right? it okay? <laughs> like, I'm just trying to get a job. Like, can I do a little inflation on the resume? I'm just trying to get in the door. You know, and I think that that's sometimes where people start with it as like, I want a higher rate. I want to get a job. But. Yeah. But like this Timothy 6 passage communicates, like if you have a believing business with a believing boss. Yeah. Like the respect should be implemented because they have an obligation as well to make sure that you are content. Mm -hmm. That's part of their job. But it's hard because I've had experiences where employees weren't content. They didn't say anything to me. Right. You can't make them content if they don't say anything. And and that's not respectful. It's not respectful. To be like, and they better read my mind. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Otherwise, they And maybe they have excuses like they should have known. or But you should know how to communicate. Right. You should know how to communicate that there's some discontentment. What's wrong with saying you have discontentment? Especially when yeah. we know that the remedy is supposed to lead to contentment. Mm. And it, it highlights in the text with repetition, godliness. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So like to me, it goes back to even those basic spiritual disciplines. Hey, before we get into all this, how's your prayer life? Yeah. Mm. You've been reading the word. How's your family doing? What's going on with your health? Are you, are you taking care of that temple that God's given you? You know, like these types of conversations, because it's a godliness question. Right. right. But where we tend to go is, is merely, I think because, again, we want to dichotomize spiritual life and work life, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. which I, I can't find biblical evidence for that. Instead, I, like, we are to be these people of shalom who are holistic and, and um, you know, work is part of our life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Something yeah. God gave us to do. God gave it. Yeah. <laughs> Which again, this is a theological thing, right? Because yeah, a lot of people is. think work was a result of the curse of sin. <laughs> right. Yeah. Because they've never really read Genesis 3. They just heard a bad preacher. And talk this about is not it. a minority theological opinion. This is unfortunately, like, <laughs> this right? This is really yeah. Instead, it, it's 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 harmful yeah. to people's mentality because they end up fighting their whole life what God intended. Mm-hmm. Isn't it better just to surrender to the fact that you're going to probably work from your, throughout your 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, and part of your 60s, and then find something you're passionate about and a group of people that you love, and then build something together. Like yeah. To me, that, that's, that's what Jesus was doing with his oh, disciples. Yeah. And that's something that we should be doing in our respective businesses and our respective work. And that, that brings the contentment. Absolutely. When, when things don't fall into place, and they won't always fall into place, mm-hmm. if you've got... The, the covenant love of people around you are like, mm-hmm. I'm staying in the room. We're going to figure this out. Mm-hmm. And man, I've had teams like that. I've had teams where when we've had hard times, and Jeff, you've been a part of them, where all of a sudden, uh, like, um, where I've had to say, guys, I'm not going to take uh, my paycheck this week to help balance things. And then mm-hmm. some of you guys go, we'll also reduce our income at this time so we can make this happen mm-hmm. and we can keep going. Like, that's powerful. Yeah. And the world doesn't know that. But this is part of the kingdom of God. And it's not intended to stay like that forever. But, you know, there are ups and downs. There are valleys and peaks. Yeah, And you want to know that whether you're on the peak or you're in the valley, that you're with someone who loves God Mm -hmm. and is not a lover of self. Right. Which is the contrasting spirit that animates the people that Paul's talking to Timothy about. Yeah. Uh, They are lovers of self and they're characterized by that what he would call doctrine of demons. Mm-hmm. And I think for any of you guys listening right now, especially if you're looking for a healthy post-secondary education, you need to know we are completely biased towards Bible schools. Go to yeah. a Bible school. You yeah. need to learn God's word. But a good Bible school is also going to teach you how the word of God applies to the work that you're going to do in life. And the majority of your time is going to be spent at work. And because of that, there are some factors you have to consider in terms of who you become and how you contribute to that workplace, but also who it is that is around you and how it is that you integrate together so you can really grow whatever it is that you're doing to the glory of God. Mm -hmm. Because as we know, Jesus would communicate in John 13, the world will know that you learn from me by the love you have for one another. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And if we aren't able to exhibit that kind of love in a workplace, which I think all of us can agree, a very basic element of love is telling the truth right? Yes. And, and communicating interpersonally and honestly with each other. 
If we can't love each other like that, how are we fulfilling Jesus's expectations? And I think a lot of people don't because they never really learned from Jesus. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because they didn't take time to learn the Bible as adults. Right. We do it. We do it as kids in Sunday school. I get it. You guys went to Christian high school. But you're adults now, yeah. and there's some things to learn. And you learn those interpersonal skills that come with the word, and you get into the workplace, changes everything. Yeah, and so that, that was how I was going to try to end this. Like, what For you guys, you've hi- hired people who have not gone to Bible school. You've hired people that have went to the Institute. I'm curious to know, like, you know, as you guys are, even people are listening, what's some of the differences that you're seeing? Because uh, my backdrop to this question is that sometimes when I meet with students and their parents, the parents' question is, you know, how does a Bible college actually give them the hard skills that they need for the jobs that they're going into? <laughs> you guys work in fields where hard skills are required. Very necessary. So yeah, <laughs> what, what would you say to that? I think, at least in my line of work, hard skills, you can learn them in school. You can also learn them, you can learn them in a lot of places, I think is what I'm trying to say. What seems more important to me as an employer are soft skills this interpersonal communication type stuff we've talked about or mm. humility or you know these these character traits that i think only really come in their best form on the other side of a biblical education mm-hmm. are what is so much harder to like teach somebody in the workplace like i want employees who like they they derived that value from their study of god's word so when they come into the workplace they exhibit those things already and then when it comes to a how to use that camera or how to frame that shot or how to do that thing. We can, we can get there and they, I mean, you got to get there. Uh, that, yeah. That's super important. Yeah. 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 It's, <laughs> it is. It is. You can't mess that up over and over, but, but a person who's gotten a biblical education and who's really learned what it means to, to live by the spirit. When they, when you start correcting them, they don't feel bad. Right. They, they, feel love. they don't feel attacked. I no. was going to say humility was one yeah. of the biggest differences that I've noted in even, cause we have some graduates from uh, the Institute. The Institute. Yeah. And then of course others that have graduated from other institutions. And I would say the biggest difference um, is the fact that people who have come from the Institute have that humility to mm. and ears to hear when I am trying to correct them in something, mm. but I'm doing it in love. Whereas on the other side, I can see the fear and the yeah, all those because other, correction is something bad, right? And, yeah, it's rather like, than but the biblically educated person knows, yeah, that is that is actually part of the wisdom, right? right. You can and receive love wisdom's it. a gift, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And the text literally says, yeah. love it, yeah. yeah, yeah, it changes everything. Yeah, because if you're going in bracing for, I'm going to be corrected, I'm going to set up a hostile defensive position, right. it changes everything. <laughs> and it's it's going to be really hard for you guys to even do something great together if mm. you continue to have, if you have people on your team that have that mentality. So it, yeah, I would say that's like one of the biggest like game changers for me in having a team that's like we, we're supporting one another. And with that, you have to have humility. Mm-hmm. And in order to have humility, I mean, really God's word is what brings us there. Yeah. The Institute does a great job at well, they get they get a lot of chances to exercise humility <laughs> yeah, as they're going through the as going through the program. So yeah, it's it's a practice skill, right? And, yeah. and then they go back and they pray about it and ref, uh, talk to the Lord, talk to their friends, and yeah. it's you learn to love it as you get in our it. culture. You know, you're supposed to have it together once you've graduated college. Once you've got into the workplace, you're supposed to have it all together, rather than to be a continuous lifelong learner. Who mm-hmm. you know, God's still developing and still growing. And um, that's just... Yeah, and it's so awesome when um, people can go to work for employers who understand that. Right, right, right. And yeah. I think that's another like component to this consideration here. If you don't have an employer who understands yeah. mm-hmm. that you are fluid <laughs> when yeah. you're getting there and that you're growing and learning Still and changing. Still learning, yeah. Because and, and and, in that case, you just implement things like Romans 12, like manage with mercy, right? Yeah. Like there's there's... To mercifully manage highlights the fact that you may not be able to accomplish what it is you're expected to accomplish right now, but it's okay. We're going to figure it out together and we're going to mm-hmm. grow. And that there's an, there's, is an investment into uh, your employees when you have a, uh, the mind of Christ. Yeah. Because we're building people. 
But I think when people don't have that mind, and that's probably the dominant culture, right? It's not about investing in your people; it's about your people's investment into your business, right? right. Through their can, work, and now right. they want compensated for their investment, rather than recognizing that there's there's the kingdom of God that's being built, and that is being built in us, like we yeah. are His workmanship. So, the having employers and employees conscious of that biblical dynamic where God's building his kingdom for Luke 17, don't say it's going to come from here or there is ushered in in any visible sign. The kingdom of God's among you. Once we get that, that doesn't just mean at church on Sunday mornings, but in the workplace on Tuesday afternoon and you look around you, like how is God building that kingdom? Absolutely. And the more everyone's constant or, or aware and conscious of that's, that's what God's building the the greater the um, sense of purpose and right. calling and fulfillment can be engaged. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, I, just to end with with that, one of the initiatives that we have at the college is the Christian Jobs Initiative. Um, that we're, we're telling students that by the time that they graduate, there's uh, we have partnerships with dozens of companies. Um, that have the values that you guys have been talking about, that we're going to invest in the people, we're going to exercise humility, they're going to tell the truth, but you guys are going to tell the truth too. You're going right. to be ensured that they're taken care of and their needs are met, this 1 Corinthians 6, even expectation where res- respect is reciprocal. You know, and, and that's been a wonderful thing that I think that we were able to do as, as a college, and, and Greg, you've been instrumental in, in, in starting, starting that out, but I think it's one of the cooler things that we yeah. do is that it gives people a vision to say, you're not just released into this hostile place, but there's a mm-hmm. place mm-hmm. even for you after graduation where you can experience God's kingdom even in a, in a workplace, mm-hmm. which absolutely. can be unexpected. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, guys, I appreciate you so much time for your time and for, for the conversation. Yeah, thank you. Uh, and yeah, thanks, for, thanks, thanks for, for listening. Talk to you guys next time. Thanks for listening to College Conversations. If you have ideas for the podcast, including topics or guests, or even just questions you might have, we would love to hear them. Contact us using the link in the show notes. Thanks and God bless.